This is Pastor Stuart McClellan from the Altoona Bible Church greeting you. The warm-hearted church with a heartwarming message, the family church. Sing with us, pray with us, and follow the message in God's Word. The choir will open our service by singing, You Are God Alone.
And now Lucinda Richardson will come and sing, You Raise Me Up.
we now have Randy Bickle playing on the piano this wonderful number since Jesus came into my heart. Here now is John and Penny Harris singing, Never Out of His Love. No one 
seems your friends are hard to find. They were promised that should ease your mind. You will never be alone when you call his name. You're never out of his love, never out of his mind. And no matter how far you go, you will always find you're never out of his sight, never out of his touch. Cause his heart reaches far enough for you to know you're never out of his love. Jesus knows the world you're living in. is far enough for you to know you're never out of his Now we have Danielle Peck coming to play in the piano, nothing but the blood medley.
I want to thank our musicians and singers for providing us with such beautiful and Christ-centered music. Our sermon topic is the words of the Lord Jesus Christ rightly divided. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Before we begin our study, we need to emphasize some important central biblical doctrines concerning the word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. 2 Samuel 23 verse 2 says, The Spirit of the Lord spake by me and his word was in my tongue. There is no error in the word of God. All parts of the Bible are equally inspired. Verbal plenary inspiration The word plenary means complete in all respects, unlimited or full. Plenary means that inspiration is fully extending to all parts of the Bible, to all the words. There are no degrees of inspiration. The Bible is like no other book. Not just parts of it are inspired, not the thoughts, not even the writers. The issue are the words. These are the words that proceed out of the mouth of God. These words are God's words. God gave the words to the human authors, not violating their personalities, their intelligence, their vocabulary, their individual style. And they recorded it, thus becoming the very word of God. Inspiration means God breathed, inerrant. The Bible has no errors. Inerrant means incapable of erring, infallible, containing no errors. Thus, the doctrine of inerrancy means that the Bible teaches no error of any kind, whether doctrinal, ethical, historic, or scientific. The Word of God is the inerrant, the infallible, the preserved Word of God. Verbal plenary inspiration means that all parts of the Bible are equally inspired. There is not any part of the Bible which is more inspired than another. Thus, the words of Moses are equally inspired to the words of the Apostle Peter. The words of the Apostle Peter are equally inspired to the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. The words of the Apostle Paul are equally inspired to the words of the Old Testament prophets. Why? Because their words are not their words individually. Their words are the very God-breathed Word of God and not the words of man. The words of the Lord Jesus Christ, as important as they are, and they are important, but they are not any more inspired than any other portion of the Word of God. All thus refuting partial theory, Scripture, the writings, the words, not the thoughts, not the concepts, not even the human writers. God breathed, demonstrating that the Bible is not like any other book ever written. Since we have an inspired and an errant, infallible Word of God, we have an authoritative Bible. The Bible is absolutely, totally reliable. We must anchor our doctrinal beliefs in the Word of God, in the Word of God rightly divided. We must allow the Bible to be our guide. We must submit to the authority of the Scripture rather than the Scripture submitting to us. 
Why is it so important to teach and understand the doctrine of inspiration and the doctrine of verbal plenary inspiration? What about the so-called red-letter edition of the Bible, where the words of the Lord Jesus Christ are in red? Are the words which were given by the Lord Jesus Christ as recorded in the Bible, are they more inspired than any other words in the Scriptures? We would absolutely confess again that these words are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they are absolutely Scripture, the Word of God. The words of the Lord Jesus Christ, as important as they are, are not any more inspired than any other portion of the Word of God, and all the Word of God must be absolutely rightly divided. Miles Coverdale said these words, and these words, this saying has become really the golden rule of Bible study, hermeneutics, Bible interpretation. It shall greatly help you to understand the scriptures if thou mark not only what is spoken or written, but of whom and to whom, with what words, at what time, where, to what intent, with what circumstances, considering what goeth before and what followeth after. The red-letter edition, the words of Lord Jesus Christ, the need to rightly divide the words Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look at an example of the Lord Jesus Christ and his words at the synagogue of Nazareth as recorded in Luke chapter 4. I'd like to read Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through verse number 22. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. That's Isaiah. And he had opened the book, and he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel of the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and the recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book. And he gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened unto him. Listen to these words. And he, the Lord Jesus Christ, began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? At the synagogue on the Sabbath day, usually words from the law and the prophets were publicly read. The Lord Jesus Christ was handed the book of Isaiah's Isaiah. He turned to and he read from Isaiah 61 verses 1 and verse 2. However, if you compare Luke 4, 18 and 19 with Isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2, immediately you will notice that the Lord Jesus Christ did not read all of Isaiah 61 verse number 2. He suspended his reading with the words to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He did not, I emphasize, he did not read the words, the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn. Why did not the Lord Jesus Christ, the living word of God, read all of Isaiah 61 verse 2, the written word of God? Didn't he believe that those words were true? Didn't he believe that those words were truly God's word? 
that they were truly trustworthy? Of course he knew that. After he read Isaiah 61, verse 1 and 2, and then suspended his reading, notice the important words that he said after he sat down. And he, he began to say unto them, this is found in Luke 4, 21, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. That's what he said to them. This scripture is fulfilled on your ears. Why did he suspend his reading with the words in Isaiah 61 and verse part of verse number 2? Because the words, the day of vengeance, were not fulfilled during the earthly ministry of Christ. The day of vengeance awaits a future fulfillment. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7, verse number 8. And to you who are troubled... Rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are living in the dispensation of grace, Ephesians 3, 2. We're not living in the time of vengeance. Romans chapter 12, verse number 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place under wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay it, saith the Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ was rightly dividing the word of truth. There is absolutely a difference between his first coming and his second coming. His first coming this day are these scriptures fulfilled in your ears. The days of vengeance are still absolutely future. What about... The Lord Jesus Christ's words to a Gentile woman from the borders of Tyre and Sidon. Matthew chapter 15, beginning in verse number 21 and reading down to verse number 28. And I would encourage you to be following along. Look at these verses of Scripture. And then also, there's in Mark chapter 7, the same time that the Lord is speaking to this woman is also recorded there. Matthew 15, 21. Then Jesus went thence and departed in the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried, and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent but the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It's not me to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord. Yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou will. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse number 24. And from thence he arose, and he went to the borders of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered into a house, and would have no man known, but he could not be hid. For a certain woman, whose young daughter had an unclean spirit, heard of him, and came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, Syrophoenician by nation. She's a Gentile. And she besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her. 
daughter. But Jesus saith unto her, Let the children first be filled, for it is not me to take the children's bread and cast it unto the dogs. And she answered and said unto him, Yes, Lord, but yet the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. And he said unto her, For this saying, that's the statement of her faith, for this saying, Go thy way, the devil is gone out of thy daughter. And when she was come to her house, she found the devil gone out and her daughter laid upon the bed. Now just think of that incident. It's recorded in Matthew 15, Mark chapter 7 again. I would encourage you to reread it and think upon those words. The Lord Jesus Christ had withdrawn from Galilee and gone to the northwest area into the area of Tyre and Sidon. These two cities are mentioned numerous times in the Old Testament. They're the chief cities of Phoenicia. For a modern-day point of reference, these cities would be located south of Beirut, Lebanon. Here's the setting. This Gentile woman, whose daughter was grievously vexed with a devil, a demon, unclean spirit, she came to the Lord seeking help and saying, Have mercy on me, O thou son of David. And just for a moment, think of the words and the titles that she is using to address the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of David, reference to the Messiah. Read Matthew chapter 12. Look what the Pharisees do when that words and that title is used. And here is the Lord Jesus Christ, who would you say is full of love and compassion, did not answer her word. Eventually, she turns her attention towards his 12 disciples, seeking help from them. And they came to the Lord, asking him to send her away, for she crieth after us. And the Lord Jesus Christ, who is full of love and compassion, who previously didn't answer the Gentile woman a word, now he states that he is sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The Lord Jesus Christ, who is full of love and compassion, was not going to help her because he was not sent to the Gentiles, but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And you might be thinking, what about Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15? For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall partition between us having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. The middle wall of partition, what does a wall do? You, You have a wall that separates your bedroom from a bathroom from a kitchen. What does it do? It separates. There was a middle wall up, and this is not, Ephesians 2.14 is not talking about the physical wall that was at the temple that separated the court of the Jews from the court of the Gentiles. This is a spiritual wall that made a difference between Jews and Gentiles. And notice Ephesians 2 again, it says, He hath broken down the middle wall partition. Well, that middle wall partition was up and standing during the earthly ministry of Christ. And he was only sent. These are his words. That's why you need to understand the doctrine of inspiration and understand that the whole word of God is inspired and there's not any more portion of God's word that's more inspired than another. 
And this, these are the words of Christ. And it's not till later. We're going to talk about this, Lord willing, next week. But it's later that that, middle, that spiritual middle wall is abolished, as Ephesians 2.15 says. And he makes in himself of twain one new man. So making peace, and he had made both one, that's Jew and Gentile, and that's about the body of Christ. Well, Matthew's not speaking of the church, the body of Christ. So the Gentile returned to Matthew 15 and Mark 7, the Gentile woman returned to Lord Jesus Christ and worshipped him. The word worship means to make reverence, an act of homage, to make obeisance. She was worshiping him and asked again for his help. And the Lord said nothing. It was silent. And then told his disciples he was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then he's going to say it's not right to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs. Here is an illustration to consider and ponder. Imagine you go to a friend's house for dinner. Your friend has two dogs and two children. And to your surprise at the dinner table, the dogs are sitting in the chairs and the couple's two children are on their knees on the floor. What would you be thinking? You would no doubt would be shocked and dumbfounded. However, if at the same house you sat down to dinner and the two children were seated on the chairs at the table and the dogs were sitting on the floor by the tables... And if your children or your friends dropped any food, the dogs were there to eat it up and lick up the food. You would say, well, that's normal. That, that would be expected. But the other one with the dogs sitting at the table, that would be abnormal and wrong and out of character. Don't you understand and see the analogy? Don't you understand and see what the Lord Jesus Christ was saying to this Gentile woman? She was not a Jew. It's very evident the Lord Jesus Christ was referring to Israel as the children and the Gentiles as the dogs. And he was contrasting the dogs with the sheep. And God's order was for Israel first to be filled with their blessings before the Gentiles were to receive any blessings. In fact, the prophetic kingdom program was that the Gentiles were to be blessed through the nation of Israel. Therefore, Israel must be blessed first before she could turn and pass those blessings on to the Gentile. And this is in direct contrast to the dispensation of grace and the dispensational order today where Israel's been blinded and set aside. Romans 11.25, where there's no no nationality has any priority. And if you go back and think and turn in Acts chapter number 3. Remember we were talking a few weeks ago about the beginning of the body of Christ. And we said most Bible teachers and theologians want to start the church in Acts chapter 2. Because you have the outpouring of the Spirit. But remember again, the Lord Jesus Christ baptized the believing nation of Israel with the Holy Spirit for power. It was not positional truth. It's not, it's not. What occurred on the day of Pentecost is not equal to 1 Corinthians 12, 13, Romans 6, 3, and 4, Colossians 2, 12, Ephesians 4, 5, or Galatians 3, 27. And I said, it's interesting. You want to start the church in Acts chapter 2, yet 
Peter's second Pentecostal address that's recorded in Acts 3 around the healing of the lame man and that gave an open door for Peter to preach. And what does he say at the end of Acts 3 as he's addressing the people? And remember, if you keep going into the fourth chapter, you find out how the Jewish religious leaders, how the priests and the Sadducees, how they reacted to what Peter was saying, and they were grieved. Read Acts 4 too. But look at the end of Acts chapter 3, beginning in verse 24 down through verse 26. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, as many have spoken, have likewise foretold to these days. You are the children of the prophets. Who's he addressing? He's addressing the nation of Israel who would be there at the temple because it was a time of prayer. Acts 3, 1 says, Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. You are the children of the prophets, which God, and of the covenants which God had made unto our fathers, saying unto Abraham, and in thy seed shall all the kindred to the earth be blessed. Unto you first, verse 26 says, unto you first, God having raised up his son, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquity. There were no Gentiles who were saved on the day of Pentecost. Read Acts chapter 2. And I remind you that the day of Pentecost was equal in the Old Testament to the Feast of Harvest, the Feast of Weeks. You're not going to see the word Pentecost in the Old Testament because Pentecost was a Greek word, not a Hebrew word. But it's called the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Harvest. And God was dealing with the nation of Israel. And if you go back to Matthew 15 or Mark 7 and you look at the woman's demonstration of faith, she understood the only way a blessing was through the the children of the nation of Israel. She recognized that she was that dog. She said, true, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from the master's table. And because of her faith, the Lord Jesus Christ healed her daughter and cast out the devil, the unclean spirit. And even though the Lord Jesus Christ had no ministry for the Gentiles, I think there's people who clearly do not read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where you have the earthly ministry of Christ to the nation of Israel, John 4, salvation of the Jews. And they have this picture that Christ is going through the whole known world at that time and preaching love and compassion to everyone. It's very clear, as we read this account in Matthew 15, I am only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But we see that he ministered, because of her faith, to the Syrophoenician woman, a Gentile. And then if you read Matthew chapter 5, with the Roman centurion, he says, I've not found such great faith, no, not even in Israel. Those are the two recorded times, Lord Jesus Christ specifically talking to a Gentile woman. In John 4, we see that it's a Samaritan that he talks to the woman at the well. And even though the Lord Jesus Christ had no ministry for the Gentiles, This expression of great faith prompted him to make an exception. This is the only two, as I said, recorded scriptures where the Lord Jesus Christ had ministry with the Gentiles. The Syrophoenician woman and the Roman centurion. What about the Olivet Discourse? The Olivet Discourse is recorded in Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 through verse 20, the 25th chapter, verse 46. Mark chapter 13, verses 1 through verse 37. And Luke chapter 21, verses 5 through verse number 38. 
Matthew 26, 1. And again, remember, when we talk about the doctrine of inspiration, remember the word inspiration made up of two words in the original language. God breathed, it's the words. One thing that is not part of inspiration, not an issue, is the chapter breaks. As I said, when you read in Acts 3 to Acts 4, there's a chapter break. And that, that's fine. Just know that when you go into Acts 4, literally as Peter is preaching, they come upon him and they're grieved. And you say, why do you say that? Well, if you go back in Matthew 24 and 25, you have the Olivet Discourse. And many people don't go into the, read the next chapter in the 26, 1 and 2. 26, 1 and 2 of Matthew says, And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished all these sayings, that would be the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24, 25, He said unto his disciples, You know that after two days is the feast of Passover, and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. The Olivet Discourse, you understand, was given by the Lord Jesus Christ just two days before his death on the cross. The discourse was in response to some questions from his disciples. They asked, When shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming in the end of the age? And the Olivet Discourse has not been historically fulfilled. If there are people who teach, if there are Bible teachers who teach that Matthew 24, that the Olivet Discourse has already been fulfilled by Titus in 70 AD, that is a wrong interpretation. It awaits a future fulfillment. Matthew 24, verses 4 to verse number 32, the Lord Jesus Christ in answering their question. He systematically is describing the coming tribulation period, the 70th week of Daniel. And he is teaching them, he is teaching his disciples that they're going to go through this unspeakable period of wrath. But remember, the body of Christ has been delivered from the wrath to come. Pre-tribulation rapture of the church, the body of Christ. Matthew chapter 24, verses 4 to 14. Read them. This is the first part of the week. This is the first three and a half years. When you get to Matthew chapter 24, verses 15 to verse 20, you're at the middle of the week. That, that's midpoint. That, that's when you're going to have the issue, ultimately, of the mark of the beast going out. Then in Matthew 24, verse 21, it's the second part of the week. It's the last three and a half years. It's a great tribulation. It's a time of Jacob's trouble. Jeremiah chapter 30, verse number 7. And then when you come and read Matthew 24, verses 27 to 31, you're at the end of the 70th week of Daniel, the tribulation period, and then you have the second coming of Christ. And you might be thinking about the doctrine of the pre-tribulation rapture of the church, the body of Christ. And why did the Lord speak of his coming after the 70th week of Daniel, not before? Because the rapture of the church, the body of Christ, is a mystery, 1 Corinthians 15, 51. The Olivet Discourse is speaking of the second coming of Christ and not the rapture. And the Olivet Discourse has not been, I I just have to emphasize this, and I can't emphasize this enough, the Olivet Discourse has not been historically fulfilled. It awaits a future fulfillment. The Lord Jesus Christ during his earthly ministry was dealing with the nation of Israel and not the church, the body of Christ. He did not make known anything about the mystery of the church, the body of Christ. It was not that he didn't know about it. He is God manifest in human flesh. 
but it was not revealed until later through the Apostle Paul. What about the words of Luke chapter 21, verses 20 to 24? These words that are found in the Olivet Discourse. And when you see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains, let them which are in the midst of it depart out, and let not them that are in the countries enter therein too. For these be the days of vengeance. Remember Luke chapter 4. These be the days of vengeance that all things which are written may be fulfilled. Verse 23, But woe to them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days, for there shall be great distress in the land, and the wrath upon this people. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword, and they shall be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem shall be trodden down to the Gentiles unto the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. These words of the Lord Jesus Christ are not recorded in either Matthew or Mark. Some believe that these words of Christ, Luke 21, 20-24, were fulfilled by the destruction of Jerusalem by the Roman general Titus in 70 A.D. These words parallel Matthew 24, verse 15, Mark 13, 14. And this clearly is another reference not to 70 A.D., but this is clearly a reference which would take place in the middle part of the week. Look at the words of Matthew 24, verse 15. I just refer you back to these scriptures and to understand what's going on. Matthew chapter 24, verse number uh, 15. When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place, whosoever readeth, let him understand, let, let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains, and let them which were in the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house, neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes." Woe unto them that are with child, and woe to them give suck in those days. Those, those are the days of vengeance. And again, think of what we said in Luke, what God, Lord Jesus Christ said in Luke chapter 4. Why he only quoted Isaiah 61 and part of verse 2, and he left the words off upon the days of vengeance. And Luke 21, 22 says, For these be the days of vengeance. Do you understand the importance of biblical hermeneutics of interpretation? In understanding the word of God rightly divided. Luke twenty one twenty four says, And Jerusalem shall be, shall be trodden down to the Gentiles. This is something that's going to occur in the future because the Olivet Discourse was not historically fulfilled in 70 AD by the Roman general Titus when he leveled the town, leveled the city, and destroyed the temple. And we understand that destruction. And verse 24 goes on to say, Jerusalem shall be trodden down to the Gentiles unto the times that the Gentiles be fulfilled. Romans 11.25 For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Question. Is there a difference between the words, the times of the Gentiles, Luke 21.24, and the words, the fullness of the Gentiles, Romans eleven twenty five, Absolutely. The times of the Gentiles politically began with King Nebuchadnezzar. 
Nebuchadnezzar became the head of the nation, the head of gold in 586 B.C. And it's politically, not spiritually. And this will end with the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and his establishment of his kingdom. Remember, I'm not going to take the time to go back there, but I would encourage you to read Daniel chapter number 2. Pay particular attention to the interpretation. King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream of this great image of gold and silver and brass and iron and part iron and part clay. And then going down from the head down to the toes. Daniel gives him the reason why he had the dream. He gives him the dream. And God then, and it was all through God, that Daniel gives him the interpretation. He says, thou art the head of gold. Read Deuteronomy 28, verses 44 and 45. Israel was to be the head of the nations. If they obeyed God, and if he wouldn't obey God, instead of being the head of the nations, they would become the tail of the nations, really the tail of a Gentile dog. The times of the Gentiles politically began there with King Nebuchadnezzar. And remember then, in his dream, in Daniel's interpretation, Daniel again is a young child, he's he's a young teenager, 16, 17 years old, and he has to tell the king, well, your kingdom is not a forever kingdom. It's going to be conquered by an inferior kingdom, and another inferior kingdom is going to conquer that kingdom. And the last kingdom is the kingdom of Antichrist, and then the stone comes, and the stone is divine because it's cut without man's hands. And then the stone smites the image, not in the head, not in the shoulder, not in the knee, but in the toes. And it pulverizes that image. And then the stone becomes a great mountain and fills the whole earth. That is the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God. What will never end? So the times of the Gentiles recorded in Luke, this is politically, not spiritually. We know that because of what we studied in Matthew chapter 15 and Mark 7 with the Syrophoenician woman. That There was a middle wall up. The middle wall is not going to be destroyed till later through the message of God's grace as recorded in Ephesians chapter 2. The fullness of the Gentiles will be fulfilled when God's purpose for the dispensation of grace has been complete. And this dispensation will end with the rapture of the church, the body of Christ, before the 70th week of Daniel. The blinding of Israel is one of the five mysteries of the Apostle Paul. And this study has been about seeing the difference between the words of Lord Jesus Christ during his earthly ministry, and then later, Lord willing, next week, about later the revelation of the mystery given to the Apostle Paul. Why is this so imperative, so important, to rightly divide the words of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, we gave you two examples. We showed you and studied the Syrophoenician woman, Really, also Luke chapter 4 and also the Olivet Discourse. You got to write the divide. Those are, are those scripture, absolutely, but they have to be rightly divided. Well, what about his so called Great Commission? That's recorded in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, Mark 16, 15, to 18, Luke 24, 46 to 49, John 20, 21 to 23, and Acts 1 8. Lord willing, next week we're going to talk about that. And you'll see why it is so important to study the so-called Great Commission in light of the Word of God rightly divided. Are those words Scripture? Yes, absolutely. All Scripture, 66 books, 39 quote-unquote Old Testament, 
27 new, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. They're God breathed. The very words are the words that proceed out of the mouth of God. But the body of Christ today has been disobedient to following what Titus chapter 1 verse 3 says and disobedient to 2 Timothy 2.15 to rightly, rightly divide God's truth. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved in the God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Miles Coverdale, again, I, you can't get away from that quote that again is referred to as the golden principle, the golden rule of Bible interpretation. It shall greatly help you to understand the scripture. And Miles Coverdale, let me just interrupt and say that he lived from 1488 to 1569. How important his words are today. This quote in the 21st century. It shall greatly help you to understand the scripture if thou mark not only what is spoken or written, but of whom and to whom, with what words, at what time, where, to what intent, in what circumstances, considering what goes before and what follows after. All scripture is for us, but it's not all to us or all about us. And we need to understand that. And that's why, and Lord willing, next week, we don't have the time this evening, but I'd encourage you to, to read the so-called Great Commission of Christ. When was it given? At what time? What are his words? Who's he, who's he speaking to? And again, they're found in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Mark 16, 15, and verses following, over in Luke 24, John 21, Acts 1 8. Read those words. Look what the Lord Jesus Christ is saying. Consider again the words of Bible hermeneutics, interpretation, the golden rule of Bible study. Who's speaking? At what time? What's the circumstance? What's going before? What's following after? It's so important to understand that. Why? Because God does, God wants us to be those approved workmen who are not ashamed. God doesn't want us to be ashamed of the Word of God. God wants us to know the Word of God. So if someone comes to you who will not come to a pastor, not come to me or another pastor, and they said, what, what must I do to be saved? You can show them, this is what the Word of God says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. The only way of salvation is through the death, the burial, and resurrection of Christ and by faith and trust in Him. We're not saved by good works. And this is going to be very important. I'd encourage you to read Mark 16, 15, and 16. Look at the words of Christ. How, how do you reconcile those words, Mark 16, 15, and 16, and also the words that follow right after with what we know the gospel to be in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, and 4? Well, the only answer is rightly dividing the word of truth. And that's why it's so important. So we've been studying the words of Christ. Words of Christ rightly divided will show you Lord Jesus Christ from heaven, the glorified risen Lord. More words, the revelation, the mystery. That, that's our message today. Oh, I pray that this study has been a blessing to you to help you understand God's truth. As Christians, we need to study. We need to understand and realize God's truth and God's word. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, do you know where your death will lead you? Do you have the absolute assurance of salvation? If you've never trusted Him, you need to trust Him right now, right where you're at, before it is eternally too late in your life. You've been listening to the Altoona Bible Church. We trust that you've received a real spiritual blessing from this service. 
It is our prayerful desire that you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. So until we meet again by radio, this is Pastor Stuart McClellan from the Altoona Bible Church wishing you God's best for now and for all eternity.